Welcome to another episode on Onger Let's Get Talking podcast hosted by me, Jasmine. Guys, I cannot believe that we're already on our 13th episode. Very, very exciting stuff and I'm so happy to be here with you again this week. Um, Don't mind my voice, I had the flu on Sunday and I'm still sort of getting over it. So my voice is a little bit nasally. Um, so just bear with, um, hopefully it won't affect the quality of the sound very much or the quality of the content. Um, but yeah, so welcome guys. I'm super excited to be here with you, super excited to sort of share with you my thoughts um, this week again um, and super, super excited. And guys, don't, you know, don't be shy. Please tell me what you would want to hear more of what you know if you have a topic or if you have something in mind that you would like me to touch on please share in the comments below I would absolutely love that um also connect with me on instagram um at onger let's get talking podcast um that would be very very cool very very awesome (laughs) but yeah so um this week has been quite quite chill um I'm working mainly from home because of my um, sort of flu, I don't want to pass it around in the office to anybody or sort of extend overextend myself with commuting to London and then being absolutely sick um, and passing the germs all over to other people. It's not cool, is it? So yes, yeah, so I'm very much a homebody this week. Um, but yeah, so I wanted to touch on confidence, self-narratives and the way in which we live life, those three ideas together. I don't actually know what the title of the podcast will be yet, but that's what I want to sort of talk about today. Confidence, um, narratives, self-narratives, stories running around in our heads, how we live our lives. I really do believe that the stories we tell ourselves are intrinsically linked to our self-identity and experiences. Um, and that when we don't check these stories, they become a reality for who we are and an imprint for how we live. Um, because in my teenage years, I didn't have the tools of self-expression that I now have. Um, I knew how I felt about myself. I was aware that I was constantly telling myself stories of who I was and what my abilities were. But I wasn't. it wasn't until later that... I was able, when I was able to hear other people's stories, when I was able to educate myself by finding resources such as books, articles, podcasts, having conversations and discussions with friends, that I realised that I was limiting myself and that the way in which I spoke to and, and about myself really had the power to either build me up or tear me down and leave me in the dumpsters. Um, and I, I spent most of my teenage years and early 20s being controlled by my own perception and the narratives of not enoughness were having a party. Literally, it was a constant, constant, constant thing where I was constantly bombarded with these feelings, with these thoughts um, of not being enough. And I often felt trapped in my own sense of or lack of um, identity. And I spent an awful amount of time worrying about what I wasn't. I'm not worthy enough, I'm not pretty enough, I'm not desirable enough, I'm not attractive enough, I'm not thin enough, I'm not um, popular enough, all these 
things where constantly I spent so much time and energy just agonising over my feelings and my thoughts of not being enoughness. Um, and this, of course, made me develop very low sense of worth and confidence. Um, and I really believe that self-worth and confidence are inseparable entities and that one cannot necessarily coexist, exist without the other. Um, and sort of like when you think of self-worth, self-worth, self-worth is a sense of one's value as a human being and confidence is a feeling or belief that you can do something well or succeed. And so my low self-esteem caused me to exist as, as a person with low sense of self, low sense of confidence. Um, it made me very sort of unable to take actions in a lot of um, places in life. It made me hide away. It made me sort of just be a shadow of a self, really. Um, and I struggled for years. And you know what? The, the strangest thing is that I never once asked myself why. Why did I feel or perceive myself in such a negative light? What caused me to think that my opinions were worthless? Why did I believe these lies about myself? Why? As time passed, I attributed my negative perceptions of myself as a phase. I thought to myself, oh, everybody goes through this. And as time goes, eventually it will come to pass. Um, it's strange, but my low sense of worth became like a security blanket um, it became so ingrained in me that I stopped seeing the damage it was causing me. I became blind to the ways my actions and lack of actions were a result of the way that I felt internally. Um, it also became easy to project how I felt about myself towards other people. There were multiple instances where a family member would say something and I would internalise their words. I would twist them so that they would take a negative quality that the person speaking them had not intended. I would then feel hurt, angry, betrayed, and even more miserable because I felt, wow, the people I love think that I am worthless because they've said this. You know, I would take what they've said and I would twist it so that it would have a negative quality to match what, to match my own narratives that I was already having about myself. And then that would make me feel very shitty because I would go, wow, even the people I love see that I'm worthless, that I am not enough, and they're confirming it by their words and by their actions. Um, and of course, I know now that my actions and feelings weren't necessarily logical, but they did feel very, very real at the time. I now know that I was operating from a place of hurt. I was believing the voice in me that screamed, you're not enough. Other people are more important than you. You're ugly. You're not worthy and so and so and so on. I had all of these sort of like narratives constantly running around in my head 24-7 where I was the subject of not enoughness. I was the subject of unworthiness. I was the subject of um, just stupidity and an idiot and all these different things. Um, so when I experience any sort of discipline, confrontation or argument in my life from those I loved, I became even more convinced that I was in fact worthless. Um, and my belief that I was worthless didn't only hurt me or those I loved, but also impacted my, my ability to live life well. Um, 
And, or, you know, when you think about it, confidence is this belief that you can do something well or succeed at something. And surprisingly, I wasn't confident that I could do anything well or succeed. I spent so many years hiding behind baggy clothes, sitting at the back of the class, not sharing my thoughts and opinion, you know, hating the face that peered up in the mirror at me. Because when I looked at myself in the mirror, all I could see were faults, were things that I wanted to change, were things that were ugly, were things that could be better. And every time I just looked, I was like, oh my gosh, I don't like my nose. I don't like my face. I don't like my body. I don't like this. And so it was a constant cycle where I was just sort of indulging or, you know, I was ingraining myself in these narratives that were running around in my head. And from that, those places of those narratives, I was projecting outwards um, and I wasn't really able to show up for myself because I was just consumed by these feelings, by thoughts of not being enough. Um, for me, hiding became accessible and then engaging with and analysing why I did certain things or why I did not do certain things. Why, for instance, was I always putting myself last in actions as well as in thoughts? Why did I do desire to be someone else? Why did I lust after romantic relationships? For years, absolutely years, I believed that, that if only I had a boyfriend, then all my problems would disappear. At that time, having a boyfriend seemed like the perfect solution, um, for it would prove to me that someone, most importantly, a guy, thought I was worth his time and him going wow you're worth my time would show me oh wow you're desirable you're beautiful you're worthy and so my pursuit of romance at the time was an attempt to feed the hurt and insecurity and confusion that I felt inside me the impulse to fill the hole I was feeling inside by being in a relationship was something I faced constantly I remember I would go our town the town that I lived in um, would have these Christmas um, festivities, you know, like a Christmas lighting tree, the whole town would be decorated with a lot of markets and we would go and I would go with my family. And the whole time I was walking, I used to envision, you know, I used to look around and go, oh my gosh, who's looking at me? I mean, not just anybody. What guys looking at me? Oh my gosh, do they think I'm beautiful? And then if no one was looking at me, I would feel quite shitty. I was like, oh my gosh, is another confirmation again that I am not worthy, that I am not good enough, that I'm not desirable or attractive. And I would, you know, feed on that narrative again and again and again and again. But then when people did look, I would be like, oh my gosh, I need to hide. Oh my gosh, why are they looking at me? And so it was in this, you know, living in this sort of world or reality where nothing was good enough. You know, if people didn't look at me, if guys didn't acknowledge me, then oh my gosh, that must mean that I'm unworthy, I'm unattractive. If they did look, then I'm like, oh my gosh, swallow me whole ground. Why are they looking at me? Um, and so looking back now, I know that um, I didn't like myself very much and I craved other people's affirmations um, because I didn't like me. I didn't like my thoughts about myself. I didn't like me, final. Um and I wanted people to like me. I wanted people to affirm me. Yet when I did manage to get a compliment from people, I felt like a fraud. And I would seek the security of invisibleness, which was in a way for me a security blanket. 
looking back now, I know that the invisibility I sought after perpetuated my perceptions of insignificance. Even though I sought that invisibleness time and time again, it confirmed to me again and again and again that I was insignificant, that I was not worthy, that I was not enough. Um, and so the invisibility meant that I was left alone with my thoughts, which circled back again and again and again to the belief that I wasn't enough. And my belief of not being enough kept me bound from living life, from truly loving other people, from truly loving myself, from truly being bold in the way that I showed up for myself. I knew what love looked like, of course, um, through the actions and words of my friends and families. However, I was very, very, very much so unable to receive their love because of how I felt about myself. Um, my self-loathing insecurities and the fear of not being enough kept me in a constant state of doubt, in building in me a persistent need to be liked by those around me, a desire to blend in, a fear of speaking my mind, and a need to fill up the hurt inside with something else. Um, and the funny thing about my low, you know, my experience of low self-esteem is that no matter how often people told me how great I was or how much they loved me, it was never enough and it never seemed real at all. Um, I spent countless hours wishing somebody would say this or that, but when they did, I always seemed to return back to where I started. Their words or actions never seemed to be enough. Even when they said what I wanted to hear, I never was able to receive it because it was hard for me to believe that what they were saying was true. Um, and so my self-narrative and the stories that ran in my head constantly, these thoughts of insignificance always caught up with me time and time and time and time again, no matter how many, how many people affirmed me, no matter how many people told me that they loved me, that I was, you know, that I was beautiful, that I was smart, that I was worthy. It was never necessarily enough because I didn't believe that they meant what they said because I didn't feel it. Um, and so you know, my, these narratives, the stories of insignificance were my constant companion um, and my need for reaffirmation, you know, will be back the next day, the next moment, the next hours, the next week. Um, and I learned that people could not make me whole, um, that being in a relationship and having a boyfriend could not solve my insecurities and that no no matter how lovely it was to hear people say, I love your dress, I love your shirt, I love your hair, I love your voice, um, that I had to know deep in my heart that I was enough. Because if I didn't know this fundamental truth, no matter how loud or how many times people tried to affirm the brokenness within, the brokenness would still be there time and time and time and time again. That if I didn't have a sense of value for myself as a human being, how could I expect to have it purely because other people were asserting it for me? Um, and for me, the road to self-worth was a hard and slow process. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't a sprint, but definitely a worthwhile marathon. Um, it took years. It took absolutely years for me to be able to come to a place where I could look at myself in the mirror and go, oh, wow, I'm beautiful oh, wow, I like what I see there. I mean, it took absolutely years and it took practice because it wasn't instantaneous. The results were not instantaneous at all. 
Um, and so for me, it just took a lot of time for me finding the resources, being able to see myself, see, you know, as a black woman um, and as well as a black girl or teenager um, in America, I found it very hard to sort of, you know, my the way I perceived myself was very sort of tied up to the way other people saw me or the way I thought society saw me. And so that was quite hard for me to um, to bridge the gap between how other people saw me, how I saw myself and how I was presented to society or how society saw me virtually by the fact that, you know, virtually for being black. Um, and so for me, that was quite hard growing up, you know, as a 13 year old who had moved from Tanzania to America, um, Kentucky, it was quite hard for me to really go, oh, wow, who am I? You know, I am beautiful because all around me, I didn't necessarily see that representation. Um, I didn't necessarily have role models who looked like me, who were smart, who were beautiful, who were desirable, where I could be like, whoa, look at me, look at us. You know, I didn't have that. And so it was quite hard to sort of exist. And like, I had amazing friends. I had an amazing friend group. But I think going to school, sometimes you hear things. You hear people going, oh, you know, black girls are not attractive at all. You know, I had experiences where some of my classmates um, would be talking, or, you know, guys, of course, would be talking, and they would look at me and they would say, oh, by the way, no offence, um, but I would never, ever, ever date a black girl. And, you know, you know, as a 13, 14, 15-year-old, of course I didn't, I didn't know how to digest this information, but it confirmed to me once and for all that, oh, yes, I am very unattractive. I must be, because even the person that I see as, you know, we have mutual sort of, you know, sort of conversation, we, we're, we're friends, they can look at me and say to my face that they would never date somebody like me you know, somebody who's black, because virtue, just because of virtue of being black. And so, you know, as a 15, 13, 14, 15 year old, it was quite hard to know how to digest that information. And so that, for me, that was massive as well, sort of going to school and hearing that from even people that you considered to be your friends was quite harsh. Um, and so in my quest for like identity and stuff, it was very hard to sort of bridge the gap between, you know, how do I see myself, but also how does society see people who look like me and how do, does my socialization or my, you know, the people that I am close to or around at school, how do they see me or the people who are like me? And it was all very miscommunication, um, or like misinformation or like, the information was just jumbled because, you know, I felt like I had to be one specific way, that there was one specific way of being a black woman, of presenting myself, that I couldn't be too loud, that I couldn't be too this, because that's confirming to people that I am their stereotype. Um, and so it, for me, I think the identity, coming to, to, to my full identity, to who I am was was a very hard and slow process just because of you have these added layers of you know race and culture and um sort of the intersectionality between you know race and being a woman and being all of these different things was quite 
quite fascinating and I'm still learning even today of what that means for me what being a black woman looks for me and um, because I don't believe that there is one way of being a black woman there's one way of being a woman I don't believe that at all because we're all very different people and uh, we're all people with different experiences different um attributes different skills and yes we, we might share a lot of experiences where we've had you know you know whether it's racism, whether it's people believing that we're less capable, whether it's all of this, they're connecting. But like, we, we, it doesn't mean that we can, we have to be, there's a one specific way of being something. And so for me, it did take me quite a while. Um, and it was definitely not a sprint, but a marathon. Um, and it was just sort of like, for me, it was going to university and being around, finding people who, you know, sort of like, I had friends from all over at university, and that helped me a lot, a lot, a lot, to sort of see, wow, I am, you know, I don't have to be one thing, I don't have to be society's stereotype, I don't have to be this one thing, and the guys, you know, at my in my middle school and high school, who had the nerves to look at me and say, oh, no offence. Honestly, <laughs> you know, my, my 18, 19, 20-year-old would have been, would have had a lot to say to those guys. But my younger self definitely didn't have the vocab, didn't have, you know, I didn't know what to say at all. But being, going to university gave me that opportunity to meet people from all over. It gave me the opportunity to meet other Africans, um, and they taught me so much about my hair and they taught me so much about just me as a woman, as an African, you know, as an African British woman, what that looked like, who was living in America. They taught me so much in being in relationships and like friendships uh, with them enhanced my life so profoundly because for the first time I was like, wow, wow, this is so good. This is amazing, you know, my mind for the first time. I was, you know, I think I was introduced to Afrobeats at university as well. I know, shocking, absolutely <laughs> shocking. But, you know, it was the first time where I met women, men and women who, who you know, I felt a lot in common with. Um, and they impacted my life so beautifully. Um but also, I also found that the podcast, The Grapevine TV, it was an, it's on YouTube. And they were so good to, you know, they brought in um, a group of men and women, African-American and black and, you know, British, everyone. And they, they had conversation, relevant conversation about topics impacting society. And it was so good to see people, you know, I, I could look and I was like, Aisha and all these different women, Ashley, they were black and they were beautiful and they were intelligent and they were doing something incredible for society. They were just, and for me, that was just like, whoa, mind boggling. And it encouraged me and it fascinated me. And I was like, whoa, this is great. And so that also facilitated my journey of discovery, my journey of going, oh, who am I really? And being able to see people who, you know, 
being able to be reflected back at you was is, was a massive thing in that. Um, and for the first time, I think, doing the work and sort of realising whose I am um, allowed me for the first time in my life, I remember, I think I was 19 or 20 years old, the, for the first time in my life, I could look at myself in the mirror without finding something wrong with my face, without finding something that I hated or that I didn't like. For the first time, I could look and I could be like, oh, I'm beautiful. Oh, I like what I see. And, you know, it wasn't until I was 20 that that happened for me, where I was able to go, wow, I like what I see. You know, I, I'm okay. <laughs> I don't look at myself and instantly hate myself like I've done for the past 19 years. But I can look at myself and go, wow, I am beautiful. You know, hello, you know, hi, beautiful. You know, I, it took me a while, of course, it wasn't instantaneous. It took me a lot of practice where I would look in the mirror and go, hi, beautiful. And I would not believe it, but I would say it again and again and again. Every time I saw a mirror, I would say, hi, beautiful. You know, I, I, like, ooh la la. You know, I would just sort of big myself up and say, you're beautiful, you're beautiful, look in the mirror, time and time and time and time again. And it took months. I think it took even, like, years for that to actually, for me to actually believe it. Um, It's one thing to say it and to make that a practice, a daily practice, that every time I go on the mirror or I see myself in the mirror instead of seeing the things that I hate or the things that I want to change or seeing all the faults I'm going to choose to say hi beautiful you're beautiful I'm going to smile at my reflection and say you're beautiful every time my eyes meet you know my eyes on the mirror I'm going to do that and at first of course it felt um quite fake it felt very forced but I kept at it I kept at it, I kept at it to a point, you know, to arrive at a place where I, it felt natural, that it felt like, oh, wow, yes, actually, this is who I am. I am beautiful. But it takes a lot of getting used to. It takes a lot of, you know, uncomfortability in the beginning where you feel, oh, my gosh, I'm a fraud. Oh, my gosh, I'm faking it. Oh, my gosh, it doesn't feel real. It doesn't feel like it's working. I just kept at it. Even to this day, I look at myself in the mirror and I'm like, hey, gorgeous, hey, beautiful. And at first, I think people, you know, it can be quite weird. And I think for me, it got to a point where I would do it intentionally when I was with my friends at university or like outside of university. And I would make jokes. I would go, oh, my gosh, I just saw myself and I'm so beautiful. My friends would like look at me in a certain way and start laughing because for me, it was just a matter of sort of accustoming myself to that idea of yes I am beautiful yes look at me hi beautiful you know and saying it even to the people who were closest to me to my friends around my friends um sort of made it more natural I was like okay yes it feels at first people might be like oh my gosh you love yourself too much and I'm like actually I have spent so many years of my life not liking myself not liking what I looked like in the mirror, not liking looking at the mirror, that to come to a point where I am able to look and say, hey, beautiful, is incredible. So say it with me and celebrate with me, you know? And so it does take a while, but it is a practice, like it's a daily practice where, you know, 
instead of just seeing the negative, you're constantly focusing and refocusing and saying, hi, beautiful. I am beautiful. Every time you see the mirror and you see yourself, do that. And like I did that again and again and again and again and again. And also for the first time in my life, I started to speak my mind and share my opinion. Mind you, they were not always popular. I think some people preferred it when I didn't say what I thought. Um, of course, I very respectful. Of course, I would be respectful. But I was able to say, actually, I don't like that. Actually, that doesn't make sense to me for the first time in my life because I spent so long going, oh my gosh, if I do that, people will not like it. They would think I'm divisive. They would think I'm being this and this and this. But to arrive at a point where I was like, actually, I'm able to share my opinion and my point was quite radical for me. I loved, I love it. I'm like, you know, absolutely love it. And then for the first time, I could also eat in public without fear that everyone was judging how I chewed. Because I think when I moved to from Tanzania to England and I went to school for three months in England, I was constantly fearful that people were judging how I chewed my food. Um, because I think I had an incident where somebody said, oh, you chew very weird, weirdly. And of course, to my young brain, I took that. You know, I was obviously struggling with myself and, you know, my identity. And I took that and I internalised it. And it stayed with me for years. And I was just like, oh my gosh, people are judging how I chew. So I never, ever, ever, ever ate at school. I would literally go to school, not eat anything, come back home and have lunch at like 3.30, 4 o'clock. And then have dinner at like 7 o'clock. Because that's how deep it ran. But for the first time I started eating in public, I started chewing and talking in public and I absolutely love that. Even today, that's one of my favourite things. I love going out and the act of being able to eat in public and chew is so beautiful. I'm like, yay, because for so many years, it seemed like such a small thing, but for so many years I struggled so much with being able to do that. Um, frankly, I think it was the first time for me that I felt truly free. Um, and I believe that the, you know, even though the process of self-worth, my, my self-worth journey was very long, felt very long, um, it's definitely worth it. Um, and it's now, I think, eight years since I started to sort of go, oh, wow, I am beautiful, since I started to unlearn a lot of the behaviours to be aware and check my own thoughts and the narratives that I allow to sort of run through my mind constantly um, and don't get me wrong there are still moments when I start to think or feel a certain way about myself even today but I'm able to catch myself whereas before I would dwell on these feelings and thoughts I would let them marinate I would and then I would just go oh my gosh this is who I am yes it's, I am worthless I'm all of these things I'm not I'm not able to go oh I feel this way about myself why am I feeling this way? You know, unpacking it, reconnecting with myself and saying, what about this situation has made me feel this way? Why did I wake up feeling this way? And then I'm able to sort of journal, I'm able, and then I'm able to replace those feelings with the truth. You know, oh, I feel very, in, you know, I feel very, um, I feel very, let's me, let me pick an example that I've had recently. I would say, oh, I feel very, um, incapable today at my job. I feel very, you know, I'm not a leader. 
and then I would go, why do I feel this way? And I'd be like, oh, this situation has made me feel this way. This person maybe might have said something that was quite, um, maybe unintentionally, but it did sort of strike a nerve. And then I would journal and then I'd be like, actually, I am capable. I am a leader because look, you know, I was able to lead a team of seven. I was able to facilitate um, engagement and growth and performance management, all these different things. And so for me now, yes, I do have moments where I have those feelings and thoughts of, oh, wow, I'm feeling this way about myself and it's a negative feeling, but I'm able to catch myself and not allow that thought to circulate and to become a habit and then to become the way in which I live out like an imprint that I live from but I'm able to sort of stop that thought in its track and able to acknowledge that oh why I'm feeling this way but also saying yeah I'm feeling this way it's important my feelings are important but also recognizing that feelings sometimes are just feelings and they're not realities um I've I've learned I think over the years and I'm continuing to learn that feelings are important um but that I can't let feelings how I feel now impact my self-worth and confidence because feelings inevitably are rooted in the present moment I rooted in my present circumstances and how I feel now rather than you know, the foundation, the values that, oh, wow, this is who I am. This is whose I am. So feelings are important. And I think it's important to acknowledge those feelings. But also at the end of the day, I think for me, it's realizing that feelings are rooted in my present moment, in my present feelings, in my present circumstances, and they're not my reality. Um, And so I now sort of like allow myself to say, yeah, my feelings are normal. I acknowledge this is how I'm feeling, but they're not my reality. My feelings are rooted in the present moment, in how I'm feeling now, in how I'm feeling in the moment, in this sort of circumstance. Um, and I've also learned to allow myself the space to ask questions and to track my trend of thoughts about my past actions and feelings and acknowledging how these are sort of contributing to how I feel in the moment with no judgment. And it's so easy, I think, for me to judge myself for how I'm feeling. But it's about creating. I'm learning how to create that space where I can reconnect with myself, where I can just say, okay, Jasmine, this is how you're feeling. This is how I'm feeling. Okay, why are you feeling this way? And there's no judgment, creating a space where there is no judgment. You're not, I'm not judging myself severely for how I'm feeling and criticizing myself, but I'm creating that so safe space. It's like a friend. If a friend came to you and said, I'm feeling rubbish, I'm feeling like stupid, I'm feeling fat, I'm feeling all these things, you are not sort of like, your aim is to create a safe environment for your friend and say, oh, tell me about it why are you feeling this way, you know, you know, you're creating that safe environment. And it's the same approach that I am learning to have with myself, where I'm like, okay, this is how I'm feeling. How do I create that space of safety for me to be able to really unpack, for me to be able to reconnect, for me to be able to sort of replace these feelings with the truth, um, with, you know, who I am 
and all of these, you know, affirmations and gratitude and all these different things. Um, so it's about reminding myself and allowing myself the space to ask the questions and to track my trend of thoughts um, without judgment. Um, and I know that when I first did this practice of allowing myself the, the space to acknowledge how I felt, it felt uncomfortable, really, really uncomfortable. And it fate felt a little bit fake, but I continued. And little by little by little, it became to feel easy with time and practice, just like the practice of looking at yourself in the mirror. And instead of seeing all the things you want to change, you see all the things that you like. You know, you're, you're looking at yourself in the mirror and you're like, whoa, I'm beautiful. Whoa, hello, beautiful. Whoa, hello, gorgeous. You know, it might feel very weird. It might feel very strange. It might feel very uncomfortable, very you know, fake at the beginning, practice, 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 practice. And that, you know, makes it into a habit. And then it changes, you know, it changes how you even approach that. Pretty soon, it will be how you, you, you sort of go about life, it will be even something that you don't think about necessarily that deeply, like, oh my gosh, this feels so uncomfortable, but it just becomes, oh my gosh, I am beautiful. Hey, beautiful. I think that really sort of like, changed my perception of life, my perception of myself and how I was able to show up for myself in different areas, in friendships, in romance, when I finally sort of was in a relationship, in um, my family, at work and all these different spheres. It really does, you know, being able to see myself changed how I was able to approach life in all different spheres of life that I occupied um, and so I now remind myself that my feelings are not and cannot be the lens through which I see myself and my identity because my feelings ten tend to change on a daily basis. I also found you know you, you know knowing who I am keeps me centered you know like my feelings come and go, like I've said, they're very much circumstantial, they're very much in the present, rooted in the present and how I feel, they're very much rooted in how, you know, if I've had enough sleep, if I've exercised that day, if I'm spending, you know, too much time on screens, if I'm, you know, if I'm going outside to get fresh air, if I'm surrounding myself with community, my emotions are very, very sort of like affected, the food that I'm eating by all of these, the sugar intake, and so there's no point in me, you know, going, oh, my feelings are my reality. They're definitely, you know, if I feel this way about myself, then it must mean it's true. No, I acknowledge that. Yeah, this is how I'm feeling. But at the end of the day, this is not my reality. My feelings are inevitably not the entirety of who I am. They're important and it's important to acknowledge them. It's important to come to terms with your feelings and how your feelings and to reconnect yourself. But it's also important to um, look at your feelings and say, yeah, this is how I'm feeling. But also this is who I am in light of my feelings. Um, and so I, I'm learning that no matter what I encounter in life, um, no, matter how, no matter how I'm feeling today or tomorrow, I always have these practices of looking at myself when I feel a type of way I create that safe space to reconnect to really sort of look at my own 
narratives and the behaviors and the tendency and the triggers and say, actually, it's okay. There is no judgment. Why am I feeling this way? Um, and it's okay to sort of sit and ruminate in that space. Um, but also it's okay. It's definitely important to pour on different, um, you know, from how you're feeling to have, you know, the opposite of how you're feeling to affirm yourself constantly with the opposite. Um, and so, yeah, so as, as I've walked into the reality of whose I am and my self-worth and confidence have definitely increased, I no longer look to others for affirmations. Um, I feel free to be liked, to be disliked, to be praised, to be criticised, to be in the background, to be in this, on the spotlight, to speak or to listen. I have learnt and continue to learn about myself um, and creating that space to really just be with myself. I think it's so important. That's one thing that I, I am learning, the importance of just being with myself the importance of um, being my own person, that there is no one way to be a woman or a black woman. There is no one way to be successful. There is no one way to be fit or to have a certain body type. There is no w one way to, to do anything in life, really. And that is about learning what you like, learning about yourself and, that, and letting that sort of inform how you go about life and how you show up for yourself in your relationships, in your jobs, in, you know, in every aspect of life and other the, the spheres that I sort of occupy. Um, it's really been important for me to continue to be curious about myself, to continue to create a space for curiosity without judgment, a space where I can just reconnect and say, okay, Jasmine, why are you feeling this way? Um, and approach it with, of course, compassion and kindness and forgiveness over myself rather than having my critical, the inner critic, constantly in the back of my head going, ha ah, ha ha ha, see? But yeah, it's very, for me, that has been very life-enhancing, just creating, continually having a spirit of curiosity about me. Um, I also, I think, Finally, you know, the last sort of thoughts, I, I look forward to continuing the journey of learning and growing and reflecting and living as a whole human being, knowing that I am enough, not because of anything that I have done or anything that I am doing, but simply because I exist. I am enough, not because other people say I am enough. I am enough, not because I have a boyfriend I am enough not because I have a certain body type. I am enough not because I have these many accolades or, you know, degrees or I have this title or I have this sort of money or income, not because I, I live in this neighbourhood, not because I, I'm enough simply because I am, you know. And so that's, that's one thing, you know, even though it's been a massive journey for me to get to where I am right now in this moment I'm still learning the journey has not completed you know it's it's not a destination where I'm like oh finally I have embodied you know no it's a constant journey 
I'm constantly learning new things about myself, constantly finding new sort of, you know, I'm like, oh, wow. So this is how I think, you know, I'm constantly learning things. And I think our lives are like an onion. It's it's that peeling one layer after layer after layer. One layer might be healed. And then you're like, bam, a different sort of layer starts to be peeled, starts to be peeled, starts to be peeled. And I think that's the most exciting thing about life, that we're constantly learning. And we need to sort of approach this learning, approach this healing, approach this relearning and deconstruction of our own sort of narratives with compassion, with this sense of curiosity, with you know, being able to create a safe space for ourselves where we can just go and be with ourselves and say, okay, why? Why am I feeling this way? Without judgment. I think it's so, 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 so important to do that um, with compassion, to have that sense of curiosity and to know that it's not a destination. It's a journey and that we're like an onion. We have so many layers And all of these layers might have something new to teach us about ourselves, something that we've been sort of not aware of. So one layer could be healed and then bam, we're like, sort of like, we encounter another layer of ourselves that we need healing, another aspect where we're like, whoa, I've sort of been speaking this over myself, this narrative, and I didn't realise it until now that this is impacting how I'm living. How I'm, how I'm taking up space, how I'm sort of able to um, show up in my relationships, at my job, how I'm able to really be my most authentic, full self and self-expression in every aspect of life. And so give yourself time, give yourself grace, <laughs> extend yourself kindness, compassion and forgiveness. Don't judge yourself so harshly or severely and know that you're, you know, you're not alone, that we're in this together. And so thank you for listening, guys, and I'll see you next week. That's a wrap on this week. Thank you so much, guys, for listening to this episode on Ongea Let's Get Talking podcast. It would mean a lot to me if you could leave a review, rate this episode, and I will see you on the next one.